Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. My guests today are Luke and Molly Davenport, and we are going to talk about OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, which I don't think anyone plans on having OCD or parenting a child that has OCD, but this has kind of been their story. So Molly, you're going to be my first victim, and then we're going to talk to Luke in a little bit. Thank you so much for being willing to do this and share your journey. Of course. Yeah, I am always open to raising more awareness about this horrible disorder. (laughs) So I don't know if you're aware of this, but I was actually diagnosed with OCD when I was 10. And I don't know if that was an accurate diagnosis. I think my experience with it has been very different than Luke's. But um, from what you've seen with people that struggle with OCD, can it look different or can there be varying degrees? What are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah. So the so there's varying degrees and there's so I mean you can be diagnosed with anything from moderate to extreme in you know the intensity of it or whatever you want to call it. Right. And then it manifests itself in multiple ways. And this was the part that I didn't know when Luke first got his diagnosis was, you know, I think that there's this stereotypical idea that OCD means you just like everything in order Mm -hmm. and, you know, you color coordinate your closet or whatever, but it's, it it takes on so many different forms. And I didn't know that. And early on when Luke first had it, we actually went to a support group. And when we were at the support group, the therapist that was running it, he just had everyone go around and say, tell them what their name is and then also what type of OCD they had. And I was like, what? What do you mean what type? So, so there's different types that manifest itself. The, the, the com- most common ones are contamination OCD, mm-hmm. which can either take the form of um, contamination in regards to illness. So being afraid that, that you're going to get some sort of an illness or, and is that different than someone that's a hypochondriac or is that kind of that, similar? That, I think it's similar. I think that probably hypochondriacs probably really do have OCD, but I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I would say they're kind of the same thing because yeah. that's what it is. It's this obsessing you're going to be sick. Right. Luke right. has contamination OCD, but not in regards to illness. It's in regards to um, bodily fluids. Yeah. So he doesn't like anything that comes out of the body <laughs> because it's germy it. or yeah I mean and when you try to ask him how to explain what he thinks is going to happen it's just I'm going to be dirty I'm going to be contaminated he just feels so like you and I if we were to step in dog poop we would be like oh that's gross and we'd go you know scrape our shoe off on a rock or whatever but yeah he would be convinced that his shoe's now ruined and he can't wear it anymore or whatever right so right a little so contamination is one of the main ones. Another real major one is scrupulosity, which is kind of religious OCD, huh. which is this need to be um, morally and or spiritually perfect. And so you spend a lot of time worrying that you've done something inappropriate or, you know, that's not in line with your values. And when Luke's first manifests itself, that's 
his first manifest in that way. Mm-hmm. And he still has, he still has some scrupulosity, but the contamination kind of took over and became the number one thing. Yeah. And then there's anything from there's harm OCD. You're afraid you harm somebody or you're going to harm somebody. There's pedophilia OCD where you convince yourself you're a pedophile. I mean, there's... But you're not. I mean, the people are not actually doing these things. They just No, think. and they would never do them. And that's the crazy part is his current therapist says people with OCD, most of them have huge hearts. You know, like they are, they are really good people and they're so afraid of becoming the thing that they obsess over, but there's no way that they would ever do what they think that they're going to, that, that yeah. they've done, but their brain convinces them that they have. Right. Right. I know that in my own life, uh, if I have some degree of OCD, which I think I do, um, I would say based on what I know about you, you probably do. Yeah. Mine have manifest in, I, I struggled with an eating disorder for a really long time, which that seems to have some OCD properties. So there's a type of disorder that's called body dysmorphic disorder. Yep. Yep. And I, I totally fit that bill. hundred percent. Okay. So that's a type of OCD. Yeah. And then, uh, I'm sure uh, Molly's my cousin. So <laughs> she remembers me growing up and I have been obsessed with Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> the kid from home alone, <laughs> literally for 30 years. And it's, it's really hard for people to understand that I mean it and Molly it has affected relationships it affected my marriage which sounds so ridiculous but for me when I watch like a Macaulay Culkin movie it's it it eases my anxiety it's like a warm blanket (laughs) and so when things are going wrong in my life especially in like a relationship or in my marriage I would really start obsessing (laughs) about this celebrity and, and, you know, my husband at the time would be like, what? this is so inappropriate, which it probably was. But I was like, it's not, it's not really a sexual thing. It just eases my anxiety for whatever reason. And I think growing up, whenever I was in trouble, that was kind of my like safe thing. Or I knew that boys weren't into me so he could just fulfill that role. And that sounds sure. like the most bizarre form of OCD, but it kind of has some it similar is, components. It is so bizarre. OCD is so bizarre. That's the thing about it. There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no rationalizing through it. Right. There's no trying to convince the person that's obsessing about whatever they're obsessing about to stop obsessing about it from a logical standpoint because it doesn't matter. And the hardest part, I don't know if this is the case for you, but I know this is the case with Luke and certainly with lots of other people, is the person with the OCD knows that their thinking is wrong, but they can't stop themselves from thinking it. And so, because what happens is the brain just keeps... It's in this loop. Yep. So it keeps looping this thought over and over and over and over again. And obviously the, the name of the disorder is obsessive compulsive disorder. So what happens is the person has an obsession about whatever it is, whether it's I've done something wrong or I'm contaminated or whatever it is. And then as a result, the, that obsession causes major, major anxiety. And then they need to do a compulsion to get rid of the anxiety. So for you, your compulsion would have been to watch something with Macaulay Culkin in it right. and then it calms right. you down, right? Yep, exactly. Well, with someone with, with contamination, maybe it's that they need to wash their hands. But the problem is, it's not, I'm just going to wash my hands one time. Then it's like, now I got to wash it six times. And now I got to wash each one of my fingers 
this many times, and there's a lot to do with numbers. Counting is a big thing with OCD too. I see, and that's so. It's so funny that you bring that up because I I didn't really recognize that this was something odd that I did until I brought it up with a friend recently. But when I get ready in the morning, I count everything I do. Like I count as I blow dry my hair. I count as I put on my makeup. (laughs) And people are like, "Well, what if you get you know I I count in like." Uh, I count up to 30 or I count to 300 or I count to 120. Those are my numbers, whatever. And they'll, <laughs> they'll say like, well, what happens when you get to 300? I'm like, well, it's just done. <laughs> At that point, I have to stop. Yeah, isn't that funny? I know. Luke, so Luke, I don't know if he still does this. And and I like I don't want to throw him out there too much because sure. I don't want him to be embarrassed or whatever. But there was something when he was little that when he would go to bed at night, he didn't like even numbers. And so if he looked at the clock and it was on an even number, then his brain convinced him of something that if he wants to share it, he can. But I won't share it. It doesn't matter. He was convinced that that something was going to happen to him. And so he would not allow himself to close his eyes until the clock had turned to an odd number. Yeah. Which doesn't. Which doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. doesn't. Well, I mean, my my counting while I put my makeup on doesn't make any sense, but it. Yeah, it, there's well, some calming all, factor to it, you know, like the world's going to yeah, be okay sure. if I sure. <laughs> do this. Yeah. And I think all of us probably have some things that maybe we're a little obsessive about, but it's the problem is the, the, with the person that has a more, uh, even when Luke was first diagnosed, they diagnosed it as moderate. And I think that it probably was more severe than they thought when they first diagnosed him. But um, the problem is the obsessions are so often that you're compulsing all the time and the worst thing you can do is do the compulsion. And so what you have to do is actually learn to do the opposite of what your brain is telling you to do. Which gives me anxiety just even you saying that. I'm like, no. Thinking about it. Mm -mm. (laughs) I want to do the thing, you know. It's called exposure, exposure response prevention therapy. And essentially you're exposing yourself to the thing that causes you the most anxiety and the the theory behind it is that when you do this exposure, whether it's, you know, you're, you're afraid of a germ and so you touch something that you think might be contaminated or even Luke has had to just even hover his hand over something because he's unwilling to actually touch it. Right. But the, the theory behind it is by doing the exposure, then eventually the anxiety will cut in half. And when it cuts in half, then you're able to go, oh, I'm not going to die or whatever it is. Exactly. You know? I think that's is, that realization that your worst fear isn't going to happen. It, I know for me it was huge. Like when I battled an eating disorder, one of my things was I was absolutely terrified to eat breakfast, terrified. And somehow uh, eventually I, I decided to eat breakfast and I didn't immediately gain a bunch of weight. And I was like, right, oh my gosh. Right oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't, you know? And so I was like, okay, I'll try it again. And it, you know, continued to not cause me to gain a bunch of weight. And then that, that really helped me, you know, to get past the fear. For sure. And, and the, then the key is if you can just keep doing it over and over and over again, but it's so, it is so hard. And to somebody that doesn't have OCD like me or my husband, you know, we would sit there and be like, you know, just do this, just do this. But we don't understand the level of anxiety. That How it scary causes. it is. And yeah. So in the process, I, as mother, have made, you know, a ton of mistakes and things that enabling him and allowing him to involve me in his compulsions, which then actually become rituals. And so then he's, then I become part of the rituals, which makes it even harder for him to 
break away. But, sure, but sure. But really I think that's so easy to do. So much pain. Oh, you're in, they're in so much pain. It's so you, you want to ease that burden. And even though you know that what you're doing is in the long run, isn't helping. I mean, in the beginning, I didn't know that, but more I've learned, obviously, you know, it's not helping them, but you still do it because, you know, they're screaming and crying and, you know, want to live their life in a normal way and get out the door and go to school or whatever it is. Exactly. And so you give in and do these things. And, you know, I have a lot of regrets for sure, but that's why I am kind of vocal about it because I think if I can stop somebody else from having to go through what we've gone through because they recognize early on what's going on and how to combat it, then, then it's all worth it. Yeah. Um, since you bring up, you know, recognizing things early on, when did you first notice something was going on with Luke? So it's funny because in hindsight now I can look back to when he was really little and see that there were things that were there. He had, you know, he had some, he liked to line things up and he, and he obsessed. I mean, I think every little kid obsesses about things to some extent, but I mean, it was like he was obsessed with dinosaurs and then he was obsessed with Thomas the train. And then he was obsessed with sea animals. And he went through these phases where he just was really, really into this one thing. And that's all he would talk about. He, you know, and he has a great mind for being able to memorize things and understand things. And so then it was like, you know, he could name all these animals that were, that lived in the ocean when he was like three years old. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. That is a manatee or And you're thinking like, oh, my kid's just really smart. so smart. Yeah. Which he is. Right. So there's, there's little things like that. And then also he had some perfection things. James, um, remembers one time, James is my husband. He remembers one time, um, he, Luke was trying to draw something and he said, dad, you, you draw it for me. And James said, no, you could do it. You could do it. And he said, no, dad, you do it. Cause you do it. Perfect. Oh. So he did have this kind of like perfectionism, you know, like personality, but mm-hmm. again, he was my oldest <coughs> child and he was smart and he did well in school. So what happened was when he was in third grade, so he would have been nine, I think. And, um, he had, you know, always been a really good student and he'd always had friends and never had real issues with, you know, anxiety about going to school or anything like that. And one day it was in the spring actually of the school year and his teacher called me one day and she said, I'm not sure what's going on, but I, Luke's just sitting in his desk and he's just crying. And so she approached him and asked him, you know, what was going on? And he said, I just missed my mom. And so it happened one time and she didn't really do anything about it. And then I don't remember how much later it happened again. And so that's when she called me. And so she let him get on the phone and talk to me. And this, it's not like this had ever happened before. So this was kind of a, you know, a new thing. And I just said, what's going on? And he just said, I, I'm having dark thoughts. I just am having dark thoughts. And I'm thinking, what does that even mean? Because he's a nine-year-old little kid, you know? Right. That had to have been a little scary. Yeah. And so we kind of went through all the, you know, worst case scenarios. Is he being bullied? Has he been molested? Has I mean, you know, like just what's caused this change for him. And honestly, I don't know really what triggered it. But when I would get him to talk about what these dark thoughts were that they were having, this is where I think the scrupulosity comes in. He was having these thoughts that he was going to kill everybody in the world or that he was going to take a knife and hurt somebody that he cared about or whatever. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And so I just started researching as much as I could. And so this was 10 years ago. He's 19 now. 
And I just researched as much as I could and somehow stumbled upon something that made me go, oh, maybe this is obsessive compulsive disorder. And so I got this book at the library and I can and I have tried and tried to find what that book is so that I could share it with other people. And I, for the life of me, can't remember what it was, but I remember we were going to Las Vegas and so we were in the car on a road trip and I took that book and I was reading it in the car and the whole time I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what he has. This is what he has. And the ride down to Las Vegas was horrible because he was having all these dark thoughts over and over again. Mm. And then we got to Las Vegas and it was awful. And so, um, but again, I think that I was kind of naive in thinking that this was maybe just like a phase or something that he was in and that he was going to grow out of it. Because the weird part is that summer we moved to a new house and we got, we got to our new house and he seemed to be doing a lot better. And so I just didn't really think about it. And so then fast forward a whole year, the spring comes around again. He's at this new school and he's doing fine and it starts happening again. Hmm. And I'm like, Oh my word. And so he ended up, we ended up in the emergency room one night because he was so upset that he was hurting himself. He was, Oh, he was biting himself and hitting himself because he'd convinced himself that he'd done something horrible. So he's punishing so, himself. Yeah. And so my pediatrician made us take him to the emergency room and we took him to the emergency room and she wanted to admit him to an inpatient treatment center for like two weeks. And I was like, I'm not going to do that with my 10 year old. And so she said, well, you need to get him in therapy, but finding a therapist is no joke. Really hard. Uh, And finding the right therapist and someone that mm -hmm. really understands OCD Mm -hmm. has got to be challenging. Yeah. It's so challenging, and the hardest part is so many therapists say they treat OCD, but then when you get in there and you talk to them, you realize they don't have a lot of experience with OCD. You know, they might have experience with anxiety or some other anxiety disorder, but OCD really is kind of different, and so they say they treat it, but a lot of them really don't, and that has been extremely difficult. I think you bring up a good point, though, that OCD is, it is a type of an anxiety disorder, right? For sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the category. Yeah, and it's actually very common when you have OCD sometimes to have another disorder with it. You know, you yes, have- like Boston. My son Boston has Asperger's, and even when you were describing Luke as a kid, I'm like, oh, that sounds like Boston. But OCD uh-huh. is a component of Asperger's, so right. So it's not necessarily the main yeah. issue that he has, but he has another one. So it's very common to have. You know, you may have depression, and or you know something else, but it is considered an anxiety disorder. When you brought up your concerns to other people, when some of these things started happening, what was their response? I think most people had, I mean, it was foreign, you know, like nobody had ever, if I talked to other, you know, friends who had kids or whatever, nobody had heard anything. And my parents didn't know anything. And yeah. So I felt like I was kind of on a journey myself to figure it out. And I mean, I obviously I diagnosed him myself. And then when we finally did take him to a therapist and she, you know, assured me that that definitely was what he had. But we um, but for the most part, people, I think when you say it's funny, you say my son has OCD and they'll be like, oh, I have OCD, too. Because it's so commonly used. (laughs) I think, like you said in the beginning, people think if they, you know, like things organized, you know, or they're kind of, you know, like things clean that, oh, I'm, I'm being OCD about this or I've got OCD. But if it's not impacting your everyday life, I I don't know if it really 
qualifies. Yeah, it's funny. It's almost offensive to me a little bit when people say I'm so OCD about that because I think if you knew how debilitating and horrible it was, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't wouldn't talk about it in such a light sense. And I I know people are not trying to be offensive. And so I, you know, I don't really take it seriously, but I just wish people really understood. I mean, even just yesterday we were, we met this Luke's going to be doing a service mission and he's going to be working with refugees. And the woman who we were talking to about it, we said, we told her, well, by the way, Luke has obsessive compulsive disorder. And she said, Oh yeah. So you really like things to be clean. Well, we're pretty clean around here. Yeah. But it doesn't, like we said earlier, it doesn't really necessarily mean that it can come in so many different forms. So that's another huge misconception that, Oh, well you just like to be clean. Okay. Yeah. And that can, that can be a type for sure. There are people that, that like things so orderly that they literally can't leave their house because they can't get the picture on the wall, you know, straight as straight as they want it to, or, something clean enough or whatever. And so it, it, there definitely is that type of OCD that can be very debilitating, but it's so much more than that. Right. Right. Have you <clears throat> tried medication to control Luke's OCD at all? Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Um, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there just is, there are no medications specifically for OCD. And okay. so with some people, um, SSRIs work in, in, conjunction with having therapy, it's usually not going to solve it just by taking the medication. But if you are seeing a therapist, then the SSRIs work. But I've read a lot of different things, but in my, so don't, I mean, maybe this isn't accurate, but a lot of the things I read say that it really is only effective in 30 to 50% Mm. of patients with OCD. Yeah. And so we tried multiple different times, different medications and didn't find them to really be helping at all. And so then we'd keep upping the dose and upping the dose. And if anything else, I think that really all it did was make his digestive system more in turmoil than it already is. And so he, he doesn't take anything and we've tried natural things. We've tried, you know, herbs and supplements and essential oils and and we've done tons of different types of alternative therapies in addition to, you know, meeting with a therapist regularly. And unfortunately, I feel like I know a lot more now than I did when he was young. And had I known some of the things I know now, he probably could have gotten better quicker. But, but you, you don't know. I mean, like you said, you're a first time mom. You, <laughs> Who's to know what to do or what, you know, I mean, if you would have known, you would have done certain things. And, and who knows, it could have been helpful or, or maybe not. I mean, we put my son Boston into tons of therapy and he's 13 and a half now. And, you know, I, I hope that therapy was helpful, but I don't really know if it was just, right. if it was that, or if it was him just maturing, I, I don't know, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, we're now on, we are on Luke's eighth therapist in 10 years. We've tried seven others. And, um, it's, and some of them seem to be okay for a while. And then, you know, he, he plateaus and then nothing changes. And so then we have to find someone else and it's been, it, you know, it's exhausting for sure. But his therapist that he has now actually has OCD, which is awesome because he gets it to some extent, the same type of OCD, but he does have OCD. Yeah. So, so do you feel like the exposure therapy is the only thing that has helped to any degree? Um, well, it's kind of a combination of the exposure therapy with, you know, 
there, uh, his or her personality goes to go, does a combination of, um, why is it not coming to my brain? Cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, as well as a little bit of, there's a type of therapy that's called ACT, which stands for acceptance. And I can't remember, I should have looked this up, but it's part of that is teaching the person to accept that what they're dealing with is OCD. So when the thought comes to their brain, it's like, oh, oh. this thought came to my brain. Yeah. That's OCD. Yeah. Right? I think that's really yeah. helpful. I mean, I'll, I'll recognize that with myself. And just knowing, I think that, oh, okay, that's, that's that kicking in and it's not necessarily me. Does that make sense? Like it's, yeah, it, I kind sure. of will view it a little bit separate from myself because I think, I don't know if Luke feels this way, but, um, and as you've been talking, I'm like, maybe I have a little bit of that scrupulosity stuff, but I've always felt <laughs> like I'm just, I'm bad. I'm a bad person and I couldn't even really tell you why. And, um, yeah. I think having a diagnosis has made me feel bad. <laughs> has Luke oh, ever sure. felt that way? Well, I don't, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I, I think that I was really hesitant with, because both of, I have two boys and both my boys have, you know, differing issues and, and my middle, my, you know, my second son, he has, um, for sure ADD mm-hmm. and I was hesitant to give him a label. I didn't yeah. want to give him that label. But at the same time, sometimes I think there's, it's, it's this tricky balance between the label being an excuse for not having to do things because, oh, well, I have ADD, so I can't do that. Or I have OCD and so I can't do that. But it also validates you in making you feel like, okay, this isn't totally my fault. Yeah. Or just understanding your brain a little better. You know, because I think that was really eye opening for me when I was like, okay, like I can accept this. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. And when it kicks in, like I try to control it. Even when I get anxiety, I'm like, okay, this is anxiety and I know it's going to pass. Because I think when you're locked in that anxiety, sometimes you think it's never going to pass. But knowing that it will, I I think is really helpful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But and I think with, with the the diagnosis thing, it's really tough too. I was having a conversation with Boston this morning and he had found something that I had written about him online and he got really upset about it because it had referenced him having Asperger's and he hates having a label, hates it. Yeah. And yeah. I remember when I was diagnosed with OCD at 10, you know, when you're going through those delicate years, feeling like you're different than anyone else is so painful. And when you have a label, it definitely makes you feel like you're different from your peers, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think the hardest part with, I'm sure this is the case with a lot of different labels, but with something like OCD, it's so hard to help, to have somebody else make them understand what OCD is. And so it's very isolating. So you have this label, but it isolates you from you know, your peers Mm -hmm. because they don't, they don't understand. And so Luke spent a lot of years, his teenage years really kind of suffering in silence. And it isn't until just barely that he's, he would tell his friends, you know, like I, he didn't tell me at OCD, but he would say I have anxiety and I just don't really like to be dirty or whatever. And they knew he washed his hands a lot, but he couldn't really elaborate on it because it was too hard to, when he did, 
in some cases, then the kids stopped being friends with him. And so yeah. he found that it was easier to just not talk about it. But so it was very isolating. And now at 19, he's kind of like, for a long time, he's wanted to share and feel like he has a voice and, and wants to help other people in similar situations. And so he's opening up a lot more, which, which is great. awesome. And, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Really proud of him. Yeah. He's, he's pointing at his watch saying that my time is It up. is. It is his time. I would agree. <laughs> so let's talk to Luke next. Cause I really would like to get his point of view. And I, I really am so impressed with the young man that he has become. I, I heard him speak on another podcast and I was like, he is a stinking cool Kid. I, I shouldn't call him a kid because he's 19. So we'll let him talk. No, he's, he's still kind of a kid. But I mean, I think if I if I put anything else out there is to just to just realize for people, I hope people realize that somebody with OCD or anxiety or Asperger's or whatever it is, that, that they're in so many ways just normal people. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a normal kid. He has the same dreams. He has the same yep. desires as anybody else that a teenager does. And his brain just doesn't work the way a, a regular person's brain works. And sure. yet he's still a normal kid. And so, you know, it's it's a matter of just be kind and show empathy to people, yeah. even if you don't understand. Absolutely. Hello. Hey, Luke, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for talking to me and taking the time to do this. Yeah, of course. So the first thing I want from you is, can you tell anyone that's listening to this a little bit about yourself aside from the OCD? How would you describe you? What are you into? What is Luke Davenport all about? Um, I would say like my biggest, the thing that I'm most passionate about is travel. I just really like seeing the world and mm-hmm. different cultures and experiencing just like different parts of the world and seeing the beauty that has in store. And I really, I, I'm a big fan of photography. I like to take pictures and especially when I'm traveling, I'd say those are probably my biggest passions, traits of my personality. Yeah. Cool. How would you say OCD affects your everyday life? Does it affect you being able to do some of those passions? Oh yeah, for sure. Like in a big way on, on just a daily level, it just impacts, like I've been fired from jobs and I've missed a lot of school and I've barely graduated high school and just things like that, or just getting to church or wherever I need to go. It's just the biggest hassle. And some days I don't make it and then I have to let people down. And like, it's really embarrassing for me to just have to say like, I, I don't feel well because I can't really explain to them what's actually going on. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, when you say I've been fired from a job, I don't know, that kind of struck something in me because I'm like, well, if you had, I don't know, cancer or you were a diabetic or you had some other issue, I don't think they could just fire you from a job for it. What are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like that's unfair? To an extent, I agree, but it's like, like I got fired. I worked at Hermes, which is a grocery store in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And... I just, I, I, I kept calling in sick because I just couldn't make it. I didn't feel clean. So I couldn't right. So you just and couldn't, you couldn't even do the job because it was preventing yeah, you I from even, even getting there. It. Sometimes it's like I'm in the shower and I can't get out. Like it's right. Like level. And then like one day I was covering for someone and I guess if you were covering for someone, it's a fireball offense if you don't show up. And I, like, I called them and I 
had my mom talk. I'm like, this is a situation that, like, where's enough that to go? And, like, it was real, really hard for me. But I, I can understand where they're coming from, but also they just don't understand the situation behind it. Right, right. How has uh, OCD affected you socially, Luke? It, it, it just has depended a lot on the time, like, the age that I've been. And I right. just feel like different ages are harder for different people, but then coupled with a mental illness, it just exacerbates the pain and so in junior high I had friends and I told them about it and then it seemed and then I was suddenly didn't have those friends anymore and I don't know if they were purposely doing it or if other things happened yeah but then in high school like I I found a good group of friends and they were most of them were a year older and some were my age and I've rekindled friendships with people but like once I found a good support group they still don't understand but they understood enough and they always supported me. And they're like, I, a lot of my friends are a year older. And if I ever need to talk, they're just, they'll just talk to me for however long I need or, and like the, most of the time they probably don't understand what I'm telling them, but just having someone listen, that's not in your family circle or your therapist, like has really helped. Yeah. And, and they and know, they know you so and they care about you. So regardless of what, your anxiety is that you're dealing with. I think when someone really cares about you, they just, they listen and they've got empathy for what you're going through. That That's a good yeah, friend. For sure. You know, would you say that your anxiety strikes without warning or do you kind of know going into certain situations like, oh, this is going to make my OCD kick in? Well, there's definitely circumstances that I know is going to stress, that are going to stress me out, but some that I just have no idea. And basically what OCD is, it will it's a lot of things, but what I feel like it does is OCD will create these situations in my head and then searching for different ways to overcome them. Mm -hmm. You'll think, okay, maybe you'll develop anxiety that this is going to happen. I don't know, whatever it is. And then is the solution is the compulsion, whatever you do, then that's going to prevent that bad thing from happening. Right. Yeah. Or if the event has happened and I'm stressed out, then it's just trying to figure out, okay, what do I do next? Whereas if I'm trying to get better using therapy, I should not do anything that my brain is telling me to do. And so it's like really confusing because it's like, that's my brain and it's telling me what to do. And so it's almost, it's almost like a paradox because I know that there's something wrong with my brain, but I also don't because it is my brain, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Your natural instinct is to do what your brain is telling you to do. (laughs) I think anybody feels that way. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's like OCD is trying to protect me from false threats, essentially. Yeah. Like it'll create a threat and then try to protect me from it. But there's no threat there. Yeah. Has your OCD taken any other form other than the fear of contamination? I, I guess we talked a little bit about you dealt with some scrupulosity, but has it been anything else? Um, yeah, I've had scrupul- scrupulosity and I'm just trying to think if I've had any others. Uh Maybe there's a little various things, but scrupulosity and contamination have always been the ones that prevail. Like other ones, I've just probably had a thought and then I just shove it off, but it's not really affecting my life in such a bad way. Yeah. What is your opinion of labels? Like, is it hard for you to accept that you have OCD or is it okay? I mean, you really can't just, you can't fight the label. I mean, if I just fight that I have OCD, I'm never going to go anywhere in life you just have to essentially I've learned to just accept that I have it Mm -hmm. but it's not me and it doesn't define me right I have to 
also figure out a way how to navigate life with OCD because it's not like, like if I just ignore it, it will just get worse and there's no ignoring it. So I just, I'm pretty much forced to accept it and it's accepting it has helped me because if I just think like maybe it'll go away, like that's never going to happen. Is it something that you've always accepted about yourself or were there times like when, when you were first diagnosed, I don't know if you remember when someone first said to you, like you have OCD, were you in denial at all then? Or or did it kind of almost ease your anxiety? Like, oh, this makes sense to me then why I'm thinking this way and I have these behaviors. I think I accepted. I just think I didn't understand it. And I still don't feel that I fully understand it. And sometimes I think that something is not OCD when in reality it probably is. And it's just reality and the thoughts are just so mixed in that sometimes it's difficult to understand when it's OCD. But I think for the most part, I've accepted that I have this. Which I think is great because I think in the end, when you accept something, it actually can give you more control, I don't know, in just being able to understand yourself and hopefully improve things. I was talking to my my son, Boston, earlier, and he has Asperger's. And he just, he's at a, he's, you know, he's a teenager and he doesn't want to feel different than his peers. And so he's just in complete denial that, that he has it, you know, and he'll say, I never had it. I, I'll say, well, well, this is what the doctor said when you were little. And he, he will say, no, that's just not right. And I don't, I don't, I've read about it and I, I don't fit the bill. And I think he just wants so badly to feel like his peers which in, you know, 90% of him is just like his peers. You know, he, he does all the yeah. things. There's just this little piece that makes him unique or causes him to have some struggles in life. And I, and I kind of see OCD the same way, you know. It's, it's not, like you said, it's not who you are. It's one little piece of you. Yeah, and I feel that it's also developing who I'm probably going to be because it's been such a prevalent thing in my life that it's going to build I I almost build character and build something that I wouldn't have had had I not had it so I am grateful for specific things like I feel that I've gained a lot of empathy from it and just the ability to feel for other people that I might know like why did they act like that maybe they have something going on because no one knows what I have going on and so it's just giving me that ability to kind of feel for other people that I've think that some people just don't have because so out of their element. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, your mom mentioned that you've been called on a service mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when I saw you got that call, I thought Luke is absolutely going to be able to connect with certain people in a way that other people just can't. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. And that, like, just the choice to go on that was really... It was difficult and it was a long time coming, but you just to admit that you have something, that there's something wrong with you and that you're just not normal because most people see me as normal and it's like, why aren't you at school? Why aren't you at church? And like, they just don't understand. But then to just say something like that was really difficult, but I feel that it's also helped me and hopefully helping other people. Yeah. What do you want people to understand about OCD that you think maybe... They don't, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions with the disorder. Yeah, as I was hearing from another room, my mom talking, just like OCD is not just perfectionism and wanting things clean. Mm-hmm. And 
like there's not just one type of cancer. So you wouldn't go around saying like I have cancer and then everyone knows what you're talking about. And when you have cancer, people feel something for you, even though most people haven't experienced that. And so it's just, you need to have empathy for things you can't see as well. Just because I don't have, I haven't lost my hair or that I just, that I don't have other, some other physical ailment doesn't mean that I don't have something going on. that's affecting the way that I grow and the way that I progress or how I act. And just because I'm not there doesn't mean that I don't want to be there or things like that. Like you just have to, people just need to, there needs to be more education so that people can understand that people have things going on that doesn't, even though it may not look like it. Yeah. Things that you can't see for sure. For sure. With your service mission for people that uh, are not familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, how does it differ from a proselyting mission? What are you going to be doing with that? Um, so it's it's fairly new too. I think last year they last year just in the last few years they have changed it because service missions used to be for people with like more severe uh, types of mental illness, such as like severe autism or Down syndrome, things like that, and so. Some people just didn't go on missions, but they changed it so that if you have like health problems or just so you apply to go on a mission and then the church assigns you, whether you'll be serving a service mission or a proselyting mission. And with a proselyting mission, you'll get called for two years to go out and teach. It could be in a different state or even in a different country. But with a service mission, you are required to live with family members. And so I'll be living at home and then I'll, but I'll be wearing a tag for the church and then I'll be I just found out my assignment, I'll be working with, we'll actually be working with Catholic Community Services in Salt Lake, and I'll be helping refugees, I believe in the foster care, I'm not exactly sure my position, but they have like a foster care for refugees, and so I'll be helping them every day from like 9 to nine to 4, or just around there, and then I have Saturdays and Sundays off. But, but it's, it's pretty much, much a time. full-time job, really. Oh yeah, it's a full-time job, but just not paid. <laughs> yeah, just not paid. <laughs> it doesn't have that benefit. That's true. Yeah. What would you say to someone else that is struggling with OCD? Uh, I think just the biggest thing is knowing that you're not alone, that even if someone else can understand what you're thinking, that there is someone else that experienced similar thoughts and is going through the exact same thing. And to, I would just say never give up hope because there's days where I'm hopeless and I just, I still don't know what, if I'll ever get better or when I'll get better. I have hope that I will get better, but I don't know when. And that's a pretty daunting thing. Yeah. I've just, I've had it for so long and I don't know when it will end, but just taking every day, taking it a day at a time or even an hour or a minute at a time, just knowing that you got through that hour, like that's an accomplishment and it shouldn't be looked down upon just because you can't do some things, but the more you push and the more you strive to get better, the better your life is going to be. And it, it just takes time, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I'm going to leave you with a little piece of hope, Luke. I don't know if you heard me talking to your mom and saying that I was actually diagnosed with OCD when I was 10. And I don't think that I, I have it to the degree that you have. And I don't think that it has impacted me in the same way that you have. But I've... I have watched it get better in my life and and a lot of it has gotten better even within the last 10 years and I'm almost 40. Um, And it kind of ebbs and flows sometimes (laughs) it it really kind of rears its ugly head and sometimes it gets better. But 
I totally have hope for you that that it will get better. And I think that you're definitely stronger because of it and your family's stronger. And like I said, I think you're you're going to touch people throughout your life that you couldn't have touched otherwise. And sometimes that's the only way we can make sense of our challenges because it's like, why? I don't know why you have to battle that. I don't, I don't know. But I think it's pretty cool that you can reach people that no one else could, you know, and I, and I'm sorry that you have to suffer. That's not an excuse. Like, Oh, you should have to suffer in order to help no. other people. But yeah, I think, I but I think that's kind of the silver lining with all you're going through, you know? No, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I think that there's a purpose for everything that happens in life, even the yeah. bad things. Yeah. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't know the good unless you had the bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good luck on your service mission. I'm really excited for you. And I just thank you I so think, much. I think you're incredible, Luke. Thank you for joining this edition of Not the Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well as Not the Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.